the mistake of telling him one time in the car that I hated chewing noises when it was really quiet. So, well, he was chewing. So then I made him self-conscious. Then he starts choking. <laughs> and he turned towards the window and was trying to chew. Oh. I know, I felt bad. <laughs> you're like, whatever you're doing right now, I hate it. <laughs> I'm like, not to make you feel self-conscious, but when people do this, I want to kill them. And he was driving? No, he wasn't driving. <laughs> oh, I thought you were in the car. <laughs> Sorry, we were sitting in the car. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he was driving and drove into a tree. Oh, because I have misophonia. Oh. Anyway, that's a good word. Thank you. wondering that's listening um dang it oh my gosh (laughs) roman our producer slash olivia's husband he's actually olivia's husband first then he became a producer that's true yeah he had us practice not saying um so i wrote um on my hand and then i was getting ready to say i'm not gonna say um and then i said um i won't say um ever again we're gonna try and not say um and if we do i'll just edit it out so just disregard but it makes editing easier if we don't say it to begin with yeah we're just trying to make our lives easier can you blame us can i say what i'm drinking yeah against the rules we've definitely talked about oh yeah every time um i (laughs) am drinking an old-fashioned made by olivia's husband slash our podcast producer and it is delicious it's really good Mm -hmm. we had some nice salt and vinegar chips and now we have our old fashioned. Lots of flavors. Probably because this episode's gonna be a little heavy. If beforehand Olivia found out what I'm doing, I found out what she's doing. And it's all sad. It is just tragic women. I I started to disassociate while thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yes. <laughs> tragic women. Um living tragically. Oh God, I, did. I don't think We've said who we are. No. Let's start from there. <laughs> okay. Um, no! <laughs> Hello! Hello. Hello. I am Drew. And I'm Olivia. And if I remember right, we are... All the Curious. Yes. Yes. And hello. Hello! <laughs> We're just going to give a good old Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello! Hello! <laughs> I'm coming for you, dearie. No, Help is on I the way. Know. Help is on the way. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I don't know. <laughs> uh, not saying um. So, what is new with you, Olivia? Well, uh, what is new with me? Oh, I was, I think I was telling you a little bit about this earlier, but we both had a week of just misadventure mm-hmm. so the other day me and roman were getting ready to go to an event and on the way there i spilled coffee on my white dress classic i, I literally never spill on myself i it's because you were wearing white i never wear white <laughs> that's so that's why it happened yeah and then uh oh and that morning when i was getting ready i burned my wrist on my curling iron ah 
which I haven't done in years. I'm an expert with the curling iron now. Oh, that's a bad burn. And yeah, it's so much smaller now. It was this big the other day. I mean, that's day. a good one. Usually, I mean, when I do it, it's like a little, like a singe, but that is like a... Yeah, I got myself uh, good. You got yourself good. And then I just wasn't feeling good that day and it just kept going downhill. And then at the end of the day, I was like, I need to go home. And then I immediately spilled another drink on the floor. Uh, <laughs> the snowball effect. And Rowan looked at me and he's like, what's happening? Because I am not a clumsy person, but that day was just a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I wish I could say I'm not a clumsy person. <laughs> Boy, am I a clumsy person. Tell us about that, Drew. Yeah. So, um, dang it. I said, um. It's okay. I forgive you. It's because I was trying to think of the day it was. When was this? This was this was this week. Yeah, oh, I feel no. like was it Monday? It was a couple days ago. It was Monday. This Monday. Um, no, sorry. Where I was working is, uh, an old mall, I guess, but it's been like refurbished into, like, office, office rooms for a surge, like not surgical. What am I trying to say? Medical. A medical company. Mm-hmm. Like the medical company of the town I live in mm-hmm. has refurbished so many buildings. And this is one of them. And they're, it's a really cool, like old staircase going up it, listening to a podcast out loud like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Except no one was around, I thought. Yeah, I um going up the stairs I tripped on a step so hard and it was the one day I did not wear closed toed shoes which they're always like oh you know please wear closed toed shoes no my hydro flask flew off the stairs it could have landed on somebody and killed someone it didn't thankfully because that is a heavy object they're hefty hefty um my phone skittered across the landing it could have also fallen it didn't my toe I have a big chunk out of it it was bleeding everywhere And the person that came over to help me was somebody I knew in real life. Like, of course, I would never see this person until I hurt myself. And that's just a tip of the iceberg of what I do to myself on the regular because I just don't pay attention. And we both have our our injuries from our past week. Yeah. My toes wrapped (laughs) up and her My burn is slowly getting smaller. Time heals all wounds. It does. Except internal ones. Except for the embarrassment. No, I'm kidding. No. Uh, I feel like, was there something else we're going to talk about? Anything else? Roman hit his head today. Oh, yeah, he And did. he spilt his first cocktail all over the floor. Yeah. Trying to figure out the cocktail shaker. Yeah. But uh, our kitchen smells really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a plus side. Yeah. It, w- it was not too bad of a loss, so we didn't, we didn't lose too much of the alcohol, which is good. No, and I figured whoever watched me fall apart, like drop everything. It's kind of like I fell and everything I owned in my hands just scattered. <laughs> I hope they had a good laugh because it was probably really funny. And then I limped up the stairs to my little office and my manager was like, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just did. I know. I knew I was falling apart the other day when both Roman and my mom were both looking at me like, are you okay? Like, how are you going to injure yourself next? You're like, please don't ask that because it'll come true. Yeah. But we're good now. And now we're recording a podcast. Yes. And boy, is it a good one. It is a good one. Also, I would like to say uh, I enjoyed people's responses to our question of uh, what fictional character do you relate to? 
on our Instagram. We yes. had some fun answers. Yes. Thank you for indulging us. Yeah. We should try and do some more questions on Instagram because mm-hmm. those are fun. I just want to know people's answers to things. Yeah. I just really want to know We're what just people thinking. Really what nosy. People think what they be thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there are probably also, I'm always afraid. I'm like, is our introduction going too long? I wonder if they're also thinking, get on with it. I don't know. Like, you can skip forward. We put timestamps in the description. So, oh, you do? Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm sure I've noticed, but I've, again, I've, yeah. It's knows. okay. I didn't know that until I was the one that edited the podcast. And then Roman was like, here's how I do this. And I was like, I didn't know you did that. <laughs> Professional, through and through. That's us. Yeah. We can't stop. We'll also, stop. I, <laughs> this is just how I listen to podcasts. I love, the random conversations that people have at the beginning me too and so when i think about people skipping ours i'm like but why would you do that but we're so interesting i think we just want to be your friend i just want you to know that i bled in front of people we want to tell you about how dumb we are yeah. oh good times yeah oh and uh this isn't really i don't know anything that exciting but my cat uh he keeps finding new ways to escape out of the house what not really like new ways he's just getting sneakier about when we open the front door he'll just like bob and weave and so the other day roman let him walk around just like on the grass area over here a little bit and he got some sap on his foot Mm. and so he had to get a bath and he is very fluffy and cute now but he was like <laughs> very angry. Very angry. He sounds a lot nicer than when I gave Greg a bath. Oh yeah, I think Greg would probably murder someone. Well, yeah. my roommate and I did give him a bath one time, and it was a two-person job because it was like hold his hands away from your face so you can wash him. Yeah, and then he'll never talk to you in the next twelve hours. Yeah. Roman was able to give Henry a bath by himself, but Henry kept trying to like dig his claws into the tub which was uh, like making him slip more oh, <laughs> so he's like what's happening baby. <laughs> he's like where's the traction <laughs> anyway that's my little cat story poor poor kitty. he just wants to be outside all the time i know so does my kitty yeah except that he gets mad at the neighbor girl cat <laughs> to the point where he is if the window's open and she comes over they are so loud at yelling at each other there's a park across the street from my house and people will literally stop what they're doing to turn and look and be like, is someone being murdered? No, it's two cats that just, we like to believe that they're Romeo and Juliet. I really don't think they are. I think it's like, the... I feel like it's more turf war. It's a turf war. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a lot of yelling, but anyway, they're really cute about it. It's cute yelling. Yeah. We're going to see if we can get Henry a harness so we can walk him around outside. <gasps> Please do. And then we will take a picture and post it to our podcast yes. Instagram, which I've cha- I changed the name, by the way. It was okay. a little bit clunky before. Our podcast name, no, our Instagram name is now Oddly Curious Pod. Just one word, no underscore. Perfect. You're in and you're out. That's our Instagram. Yeah. Anyway. So if you want to follow us, please do. Oddly Curious Pod. Yes. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, on that note, is there anything you'd like to add before I jump into this Um Tragic story? No, let's just get right into it. Let's get right into it. Okay, here we go. Olivia, today I'm going to tell you and our dear listeners the story of 
old Hollywood, like as the the beginning of Hollywood and also the tragic story of actress Peg Entwistle. I am excited and sad because I have listened to one of the podcasts that is your sources, but I'm excited to learn more. You're excited but deeply grieved. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, me too. And I know this through and through because I've practiced many times, but here we go. So my sources for today, um, it's a podcast episode from Stuff You Missed in History Class, a podcast episode from You Must Remember This which we love that one. Love I mean, we Karina love Longworth. both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we love both of those. But Karina Longworth is um, on like the D- Dana Schwartz level of podcast voices where you're like, your voice is like a blanket that's holding me tight and safe. I'm like, this is magical. Please tell me stories Please, forever. I'll listen to anything, mm-hmm. anything. So yeah, check it out. Um, history.com article written by history.com editors. That's all it said, which I'm sure they, they have real names, but they did not <laughs> provide them. And last but not least, an Oprah daily <laughs> article written by not Oprah, um, actually written by Samantha Vincenti. It was just funny to me. It's Oprah daily. She's not writing that this article. That was unexpected. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, maybe it's just Samantha Vincenti. Who was interested, but perhaps Oprah was also interested in this. Maybe. So So we will find out. Um, And then trigger warning for this. I discuss a little bit about domestic violence and um, suicide. Of course, I do not go into detail, but I just would like you to know ahead of time. And now we are here in Hollywood. It is now 1853 in the part of Hollywood, California, that is not Hollywood yet, but is a part of California. Mm -hmm. It's just a little piece of land. I mean, it's not a little piece of land, but it's a piece of land land that just has a little adobe hut Mm -hmm. and then like rolling hills, trees, and then to the west is the ocean. It's just small. Eventually, over the next few decades, this um, area becomes an agricultural community called Cahuenga Valley. And if you're familiar with Los Angeles, you'll recognize the name Cahuenga. It is a huge boulevard through Los Angeles that has been around since, well, since the beginning, (laughs) the very, very beginning. In 1883, a prohibitionist from Kansas, his name is Harvey Wilcox, he moved out west with his second wife, Dieta, and they purchased 150 acres of land west of Hollywood. And he was trying his hand at ranching. It did not go so well. So uh, four years later in 1887, he filed plans with Los Angeles County to subdivide the land. And this is where homes start popping up and it becomes a a real community with people, not just farming or Mm -hmm. ranching. By 1902, a real estate magnate named H.J. Whitley, who is known as the father of Hollywood, he transforms this land into a wealthy and popular residential area which is more of what we know today. So by 1902, when he moves in, this small town already has a post office, a market, a livery, and a streetcar. Cute. Cute. But when he moves in, he adds more to it, including a hotel, which is called the Hollywood Hotel. And the site of this hotel is now the site of the Dolby Theater, which hosts the Oscars annually. So... So the original Hollywood. OG Hollywood. Like this is the beginning. 
By 1903, Hollywood becomes a municipality, but due to issues within like its sewage system and, and many other things, they can't really like be on their own. So 1910, it is incorporated into Los Angeles. So it's just absorbed. And then Harvey Wilcox, when he first moved in way back in 1883, he built a road and named it Prospect Avenue. But this road is now renamed Hollywood Boulevard. <gasps> ah, I know that place. You know that place. <laughs> you know it and I know it. As far as the name Hollywood, however, where did that come from? It's been disputed. There's actually, actually several different versions of where it came about. One of the biggest um, iterations is Dieta Wilcox. When she and Harvey moved in, she named their ranch Hollywood after Hollywood, Illinois, which is a train station they passed while traveling to California. That's cute. Or another one being H.J. Whitley naming it after the holly trees that grew rampant in Santa Monica Mountains. Mm, that does make sense. That makes sense, too. Yeah, either one, it's like, hey, they both sound cute. Um, but Hollywood, much like the area, it came from a humble beginning and it has really just grown into this elite upper class now it's crazy town crazy town hollywood is known for crazy town but it used to be just literally just it meant hollywood (laughs) (laughs) that's all it was like we like these trees (laughs) these trees they're great so from there on um the film industry moved in and you're wondering why there i mean i'm sure we all have wondered that and guess what it's because of thomas edison (laughs) Wow, if, if I knew that, which I don't think I did, yeah. I forgot it. But that's interesting. Really interesting. And it's kind of like the um, like Monty Python's, you never expect <laughs> yeah. the Spanish Inquisition. You never expect Thomas Edison. You don't. You really don't. He just kind of shows up and he's like, light bulbs. He's like, get I'm going to take credit for everything. <laughs> Pretty much. And he's like, and if you're going to talk to me about Tesla, I will not have it. Tesla's like, hey, I actually started Hollywood. <laughs> hey, I love pigeons he loved pigeons he's like look i'm david bowie i'm david bowie and i do not drive a tesla (laughs) um okay so hollywood was an ideal place to produce movies because they would not be sued for infringing on motion picture film patents held by thomas edison Hmm. did you know he held patents (laughs) no i i was like this guy what i know about him it's you know, very vague of what I've learned throughout like history class and then the Simpsons episode <laughs> where Homer invented something and then he left it at the Thomas Edison Museum and then the money for this invention went to the Thomas Edison family. <laughs> the more I learn about Thomas Edison, the less I like him. <laughs> yes, that is actually, we should do a, a story on him sometime. Yeah. And we're like, this guy. What's his deal? What, he made electric... No, he didn't invent it. He didn't make electricity. <laughs> what if... Sorry, I am, like, forming this right now. What if we did an Edison versus Tesla? Tesla. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think there's also... Um, do you know of on YouTube, they have the the rap battles? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's one. Isn't there... I think there's a movie, too, that has, like, Benedict Cumberbatch and Nicholas Holt. I forget who plays who, but... I hope Benedict Cumberbatch plays Tesla, because he's got a Tesla face. It makes more sense. What if someone just looked at you and said, you have a Tesla face? I mean, forever in my mind, 
Tesla looks like David, David Bowie, Bowie yeah. because of the prestige. Because also David Bowie is should is David Bowie should be everything. <laughs> I can't even finish the sentence. I'm like David Bowie is everything. I just want to say we we haven't had that much of our old fashions. This no, is just this is just never. normal. This is normal us. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry I got you off. Yeah, no, it's okay. So Thomas Edison who's just trying to throw a wrench in the movie industry, but they were like, nope, we're going to California. So Edison owned the Motion Pictures Patent Company, and for some reason, this did not extend to California. So a lot of these movie film industries or like companies were like, hey, we can go out there and we are, we are good to go. And as you know, California, especially Southern California, it's warm, predictably sunny, and it has a diverse terrain for movie backdrops. Mm-hmm. You can literally be on Mars. You can be in the Old West. Mm-hmm. You can be in... The tropics. The tropics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, literally every movie yeah. that has ever been made for the past, like, last 50 years. It's, yeah, been there. Anyway. Um, by 1908, the first film completed was The Count of Monte Cristo. Although this movie started production in Chicago, it was finished in Hollywood, and then the first film made entirely in Hollywood was in 1910, which was a short film called In Old California, Oh, which is funny because that's what they became. They were inside Old California. That's so funny. <laughs> They're like, we're in New California, but now we're like, no, it was old. They're like, it's a prophecy. It's a prophecy. By 1911, the first movie studio appeared on Sunset Boulevard, and by 1915, many major uh, motion picture companies relocated from the East Coast. And last but not least about our little Hollywood segue before getting into like the crux of this story, you cannot think about Hollywood without thinking of the sign. True. And the sign is funny because it originally was not even supposed to be a thing, Mm -hmm. but now it is... The th- it is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> when you think of Hollywood, that's what you that, think That's of. what you think yeah. of. When you fly into LA, every time I'm, I'm like, if I have a window seat, I'm always like, can I see it? Can I see it? Um, so the original sign read not, um, 1923. That is not what it read. <laughs> <laughs> the original sign. They're like, turns out this isn't very uh, long lasting. <laughs> right. The original sign said Hollywood Land. Mm-hmm. And it was erected in 1923. And it was um, built by this lost... Oh my gosh, let me start over. It was erected in 1923, and it was erected by a Los Angeles Times publisher um, and real estate developer. His name is uh, Harry Chandler. And at the time, it cost about $21,000 to make. Um, in today's money, it's about 300000 for this sign on the, mm-hmm. on the hill. Each original letter was 30 feet wide and 43 feet tall and attached to telephone poles to keep it upright. The sign was automated and timed with flashing lights. 4,000 light bulbs illuminated the massive marquee. First, the holly lit up, then the wood, then the land. The sign was only supposed to last one and a half years. It was supposed to draw people to this real estate development, sell houses, and be gone. Mm -hmm. But... So many people, like, I mean, it was like, it literally was the glitz and glamour of what they were creating. They're like, we got to keep it. Mm -hmm. Um, However, the Great Depression took a toll on the sign. It started to deteriorate. 
The H fell off by the late 1940s. It started to read Hollywood Land. It's my land. <laughs> oh, yeah. Olivia Land. Um, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce took over maintenance in 1949, and they took off the land. It was easier to maintain with just Hollywood. And it's not like people refer to it as Hollywood Land. It was Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and then um, by the 70s, it really fell in, dis- in disrepair, and I will share pictures on our Instagram. It, it looks a little creepy. I can't even imagine, like... I think it was like 1973 to 1978. It was really sad looking. Mm -hmm. And I can't even imagine if you were a tourist, you're like, this is my time to go to Hollywood. You visit, you look at the sign and you're like, I'm scared. Take me home. (laughs) I don't know if you noticed, but when you said it looked kind of creepy, my face just lit up and I was like, (laughs) ah. We're like, you're in the right place. It's really, really disturbing looking. I can't wait to see it. Right? And it's... um. So, so many letters fell down, and it was made out of wood before they refurbished it in 1978. Mm -hmm. But it was like, this is very disturbing. When you look up at the hill, you're like, I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) Why is it like that? The 70s were a hard time, I guess. For everyone. For everyone. We weren't there, but I wouldn't want to be. Uh, No. I mean, there were, like, I would love to, like, do, like, a time travel afternoon. Yes. To visit. To visit, but... (laughs) This, if this Hollywood sign sums up how rough the 70s were, well, you just got to see it to believe it. They're like, look, serial killers are everywhere. Everyone's feeling creeped out. We might as well reflect it with the sign. Right. Look at this sign and feel sad. (laughs) But also, as of this year, the Hollywood land sign is 100 years old. (gasps) Yeah. That's cool. So. Oh, yeah. Because 1923. 1923. (laughs) It's having a little anniversary. Cute. Yeah. We should go there. We <laughs> Podcast road trip. Okay. Um, okay. So now that we have established Old Hollywood and the sign, it is time to talk about Peg and Twistle. So we are going across the pond to Britain, um, back to 1908, back when Hollywood completed its first film. And it's February 5th, 1908, and Millicent Lillian and Twistle was born in Port Talbot, Glamorgan, Wales. Two English parents, Emily and Robert, who are also stage actors. So despite being born in Wales, she is not Welsh. She is English. And soon after her birth, they go back to West Kensington, London, where they're living. And that's where she spent the first few years of her life. When she was just two years old, her parents divorced. And when she was five, Peg and her father emigrated to New York in 1913. So he was a stage actor, but after just a minor stint on Broadway, he retired from acting, got remarried, and opened a store in Manhattan selling custom gift boxes. This store was called Box Mart, <laughs> which is kind of cute. That is cute. And very modern sounding. Yeah. And they're like, this is what we sell. This is what we sell. I Googled it, and it's still a store. I don't think it's related, but it's a store in the UK today, kind of like yeah. a Walmart. Um, but despite this, like... Boxmart sounding so simple, it was actually very upscale. And you even had to um, schedule time with him to even have him in the store with you to make the box. Like oh, wow. rich people and their boxes. <laughs> and he knew it and he made very good money. So good he was doing him. well for himself. Yeah. So despite Robert retiring from acting, uh, Peg was bitten by the acting bug right away. 
she developed her own dreams of acting on stage. And by 1921, she was a preteen. She um, saw the play Pego My Heart on Broadway. And when she was, you know, watching it, she was so enthralled. And afterwards, she insisted her friends and family start calling her Peg. That is so cute and such a teenage girl move. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and such a... Um, a theater kid move. Oh, for sure. She's yeah. like, I am now Peg. <laughs> Which, I mean, she was Millicent Lillian before. I don't know if they called her Millicent or, or Millie. Um, the podcast, Stuff You Missed in History Class. One of her nicknames growing up was Babs. <laughs> which, I mean, like, I don't know how you get Babs from Millicent. I That's don't know. more like a, the name for Barbara. Yeah. But she was all about that short nickname. Must be just like... One of those weird family names. That Probably, happens. yeah. She went from Millicent to Babs to Peg. So <laughs> now she is Peg for good. So Peg was determined to be successful in her acting career. And she felt that she's living in Manhattan. She's close to Broadway. Her father had been somewhat successful. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. This is going to happen. However, her life and her Broadway goals are uprooted just a year later after her stepmother dies unexpectedly to an illness and her father was killed following a hit and run accident in Manhattan. So she and her two much younger half brothers moved to Ohio to live with her father's brother and his wife. And then not so long after that, her four-year-old brother became ill and this is 1923, Mm -hmm. doctors recommend a move to a warmer climate. So the whole family relocates from Ohio to Los Angeles and more specifically Beechwood Canyon, which is right next to the Hollywood Hills. So Hollywood, it's 1923. It's now rampant with would-be film stars. Mm -hmm. They're lured by this promise of being rich and famous, kind of like a proverbial gold rush. You know, who's going to who's going to get the success. However, it's becoming more noticeable that it's not successful for everyone. It's a little few and far between. Even now, yeah. I feel like it's just like either who you know, you're there at the right time. Yeah. Or nepo the baby. Wrong time. No, you're a nepo baby. Yeah, that's the new thing. Um, so when Peg and her family moved into Los Angeles, the the sign had not been built yet, but it was being built that year. Um, and it said during her first summer break in California, Peg, at one point, was practicing a play on the front porch of her family's Beechwood Canyon home, and she was rudely interrupted by the sound of trucks and tractors carrying what would become the letters of the Hollywood sign. <laughs> Could you even imagine? Like, history is right out your front door. Oh, man. And you're like, you're like get out of here. <laughs> I'm busy. And then she's like, wait, this is my dream. This is my dream. So, despite being so close to the heart of the film industry... Peg was focused on the dream of being a New York stage star. She seemed impervious to the allure of Hollywood, which, I mean, like, good for her. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would be hard to ignore, especially at her age. Um, But she felt like she just did not fit in. She was British. She had an English accent. She was in the middle of the Wild West, literally. Um, So she stuck it out in L.A. for two years. And by... 1925, she returned to the East Coast. And at first, she was lured to Boston with the promise of a six-month contract with an acting repertory. By January 1926, 17-year-old Betty Davis watched Peg on stage playing Hedwig in the Boston production 
of Henrik Ibsen's The Wild Duck. That's right. Right? Yeah. yeah, which is so cool. And Betty, over the span of her career, repeated that Peg's performance ultimately made her decide to become an actress. Oh. Which, I mean, could you even I know. I imagine? love Betty. I know. Me too. She's so rad. Um... So Peg, despite her success in Boston, she had a grueling schedule. She did 12 performances a week. And eventually, even at her young age, she burnt out. So she quit the repertory, moved back to New York, and she quickly found work on Broadway. And she managed to have moderate success. By early 1927, the New York Times profiled her as the new it girl of the stage. Wow. And by spring of 1927... She fell in love and married a fellow actor named Robert Keith. Two he, first names. Two first names. <laughs> which, I mean, if that's good or bad, I don't know, but it it's not, he's not great. So Robert was 10 years her senior and they married after dating four days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Red flag. I... <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Even if it's the most amazing person in the world, please don't get married right away. Like, I feel like by today's standards, like me and Roman didn't date as long as a lot of people, but four days, never in my life. No, no, no. never. But it didn't matter because Peg was happy. However, just two days after getting married, Peg was sitting with her new mother-in-law in her new home, and she asked about the picture of the young boy on the piano. Peg's mother-in-law said, why, that's Bob. That's your husband's little boy. No. No. (laughs) I knew that's what's going to happen. Yeah. You never expect Thomas Edison, but you should expect your (laughs) four-day dating husband to have baggage. Yeah. Why does he want to get married that fast? Exactly. So, yeah, Peg was not aware that her husband had a little boy or even an ex-wife. Turns out Robert Keith falsified their marriage certificate. Oh, yeah. Stating that he was single. He did not indicate that he was divorced. Um, and eventually his red flags became more apparent as he brought to the marriage a history of debts he owed so much in alimony and a series of arrests because he's not paying alimony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh no, Robert. And to top it all off, as soon as they got married, he ceased working altogether. So that Peg could support not just them, but also his mother who moved in with them. Oh, God. Yeah. Turns out 1927 guys that are terrible are not too different from 2023 guys that are terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I literally love my in-laws so much. But to think that, like, they would move in, like, right after we got married, man. And you had to support them financially. Like, if they did it now, like, I would be fine with it. But, like, right like after, a week yeah. after you get married you're or like, something. no. Oh, gosh. That's crazy. Or two days after, in fact. Oh, yeah. It wasn't even a week. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This poor girl. Okay. So, um, in addition to this, uh, Robert became physically abusive. Mm-hmm. One night, he drunkenly attacked her, ripping out pieces of her hair. Oh, God. Yeah. Finally, by 1929, Peg is granted a divorce, citing mental anguish in the court papers. Robert Keith remarried for a third time before their divorce was finalized. 
So he has a pattern. He's got a pattern. Robert Keith. We hope you made it to therapy. Why do you have two first names? <laughs> first of all, <laughs> why is your last name Keith? <laughs> In addition to all of this, Peg realized the New York Theater Company was effectively shutting her out due to the association with her ex-husband because oh. she was creating drama. Not her own drama. It was her husband making yeah. her life miserable. Um, so they blacklisted her from pursuing stage acting going forward. Poor Peg. Poor Peg. Because of this, she moves back to Los Angeles with her tail between her legs, moving into an apartment near her family's home. For the next few months of living on the West Coast, she was notably depressed, which I do not blame her at all. Family members noticed she stopped talking altogether. Oh, man. Yeah. But she was given a ray of hope. Peg was invited to play the detective's love interest in the stage adaption of Sherlock Holmes. And it would be this tour that would get her back out of Los Angeles because it was going to tour the East Coast and the Midwest. And when it ended, she joined a repertory in Maine at an exclusive resort. And she stayed there for two summers, which um, a summer resort in Maine signed me up. I know. That sounds nice. It sounds so nice. So from there, she went back to New York and was given the opportunity to um, play in the stage adaption of Little Women. Oh, who did you play? I actually didn't look it up. I, I realized now I was like, oh, no. We should look it up. Yeah, we should. Because we have pause the, the power to pause. <laughs> I'm like, what if she was Amy? That'd be so cute. That would be cute. I feel like... Maybe Meg. Oh, I could definitely see Meg. I could also see Joe. Yeah. I mean, she's. I literally put in Peg and Whistle, Little and Whistle. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because I couldn't find it. If we can't find it, we'll just cast her in our mind. Yeah, we've got to find it at some point. I think that was the problem. I think at one point I did search for it, um, but it's also the '30s and yeah. It, that, that's a and long it's also time ago. stage acting, so it's like their records are probably not as good as film acting. We'll we'll just pretend. We'll pretend. <laughs> Who did you cast her as? Meg. Meg. She would have been pretty young, so she would have been in her early twenties. She could have been. They were Meg. all pretty young. Yeah. Though. I could. I'm gonna say that she was either Meg or Beth. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. Or, I feel like she's got the wistfulness and the sadness Mm -hmm. of beth yeah Yeah. okay okay (laughs) so we're going back back to peg after the little women opportunity she was given a few more opportunities in new york even though they were small however she was asked to move back to los angeles to try out for a role in a play called mad hopes she auditioned for the part of the ingenue received rave reviews, and even started dating her co-star, Humphrey Bogart. Oh. It seemed things had really turned around for her. When the Mad Hope's L.A. run ended, they offered the role on Broadway to her the following September. And it was because of this Mad Hope's um, show in L.A. that caught the eye of the casting office of RKO Pictures. Ultimately, it led to just a single picture contract with RKO, and it was a film titled 13 Women. Mm -hmm. 
which I'm, you know, you're familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it. It sounds a little out there, uh-huh. especially when it's a white actress playing an, an Indian woman. Yeah. Myrna Loy, we love her, mm-hmm. but she is white. Wasn't um, Joan Crawford in that too? Or am I thinking of something you're else? Thinking, yeah, you're thinking of the women. Oh, yeah. Which, they're both, like, <laughs> I, heavily... Yeah, I think it's because Karina Longworth talked about both of them. Yeah, so. and the women is much... Has um, a bigger... Like, a, a bigger... Like, what am I trying to say? It has more people who are actually interested in seeing it. Gotcha. 13 Women is like, people are like, this is not good. The women is actually well done and well made. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, so 13 Women was not the best film to be cast in for your your only picture contract with RKO. Peg's part was Hazel Clay Cousins, which was a character that had 16 minutes of screen time that was shredded and cut down to just four minutes after production. The problem wasn't her performance, of course, but it was a perceived violation of the motion picture production code known as the Hayes Code, Mm -hmm. which the Hayes Code was conceived by former Postmaster General Will Hayes um, in an attempt to make Hollywood wholesome and clean. Mm -hmm. Um, So Peg not only had her part nearly cut out of the film, but because she did this, she broke her theatrical contract with Broadway and she was dropped from Mad Hopes in New York. Oh. So it's like this little glimmer of something involved into nothing. Yeah. And two weeks after the filming of the movie, RKO declined to extend Peg's contract. That's so sad. So sad. So on September 16th, 1932, two days after news broke that RKO dropped Peg and that and it made the papers, which is so sad that everyone is seeing this. Peg told her uncle she was going to the drugstore to, and to see some friends right after. By the next morning, she still hadn't come home. Her family started to worry after she had gone, been gone especially 24 hours. And then 24 hours after that, with her still missing, the LAPD got a report from a woman who stumbled across a woman's jacket and purse while hiking near the Hollywood Land sign. This woman supposedly looked down from where she found these items, saw a body at the bottom of the hill, and decided she, I mean, she was the only one up there. She had to make that call. Mm -hmm. This anonymous caller dropped the woman's things on the steps of the Hollywood Police Department. Inside the purse, the police discovered a note, and this is very sad. The note reads, or read, I am afraid I am a coward, I am sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, it would have saved a lot of pain. Oh. Signed, P.E. So sad. So sad. The police rushed to the base of the Hollywood sign, and there they found a female body. The detectives concluded this woman climbed up the 45-foot 40, ladder behind the H of the Hollywood land sign and jumped. She was just 24 years old. Oh my gosh, she's a baby. Such a baby. What's and also what's really sad is they figured that from the trajectory because I mean they found her she had already died and she had many um, broken bones, 
but she had broken her pelvis first. So oh. she didn't even die immediately. She probably suffered. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, that just breaks my heart. And also for her. Speaking from experience. Oh, that's right. I have also fractured my pelvis in several places. I can confirm it is excruciating. It's excruciating. Oh. Thankfully, you had a recovery. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Poor thing. Yeah. This is, it's just so sad. Um, so at first, the police had no way of identifying the body as the purse did not have anything other than the note. Mm-hmm. They ran a news story where they described her features and they asked the public for help. Peg's family saw the story and they knew it was her. Her uncle went to the morgue to identify her remains. And the detective wrote up cause of death uh, being suicide by despondency. Hmm. Many dispute that the claim she was despondent was due to her failed film career as she wanted to be a Broadway star. Mm -hmm. So it didn't really make sense to them. Uh, Reporters um, used this failed film career as basically fodder for selling papers about uh, the failed Hollywood aspirant. And there's so many of them out there and this is what can, you know, it will chew you up and spit you out. So you're saying nothing's changed. So nothing is, so Hollywood is the same, but yes. But but really, that was not the full story for her. No. She was a theatrical actress at heart. She was moderately successful um, in New York, but because of the theater guild uh, being upset with breaking her contract and with her past with being associated with her um, loser of a ex-husband, mm-hmm. New York repertories finally ultimately blackballed her from her one true love Mm. so it was she felt like she couldn't go back yeah in addition to this her new york apartment which she had been trying to keep afloat had been seized in lieu of back rent so all of her clothes furniture and items from her childhood were gone and yet another example of her unfortunate poor timing it said that peg's uncle received a letter from rko studios shortly after her death offering her another film role no yeah it's just i mean like obviously i don't think that's the only reason no that she was depressed but it's still so sad that maybe that would have given her a little glimmer of hope yeah and this is just really um like hammers home please take care of your mental health Mm -hmm. and if you are friends or family of someone you recognize that is suffering from depression, anxiety, get them help, but also don't be a jerk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can, please help your friends and please take care of yourself. Because yeah. it is so, so important. Um, let's see. So her ashes were interred with her father's at the Oak Hill Cemetery in Springdale, Ohio. However, it wasn't until 2010 that her grave was even marked. Mm. And I'm not sure why it took so long. Yeah. But in 2021, in Port Talbot in Wales, there was a mural that appeared um, for her, which was really nice. That was two years ago. I put podcast road trip. Yeah. Let's go see Peg's mural in Wales. So we're gonna go to LA and we're gonna go to Wales. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do it all. So some little um like interesting side pieces, not to like end it on such a really sad note. 
there have been many pieces of media that have been created from this story or inspired by Peg's story. Many speculated that the 1977 Steely Dan song Peg was about her. However, it was finally um, like, I cannot even think of the word. They're basically like, no, it's not that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even think of what that word is. Uh, But uh, Steely Dan co-founder Donald Fagan said that there's no hidden meaning behind the song. They just needed a short name. (laughs) Peg fit. And I'm like, well, that's That's true. That is funny. There was a 2017 film called Hollywood Girl, the Peg Entwistle story made about her uh, last days of her life. There was um, a miniseries on Netflix called Hollywood where it was about a fictional production of a film called Meg, and then it was about the actress's um, career and apparent suicide. There was another film that some people felt might have been inspired by her, which was not too long after her death, and it was Stage Door, starring Katherine Hepburn. Oh, yeah. Um, which is interesting because Katherine Hepburn and Peg, they really circled each other's lives. They had really similar interests in Broadway and then Katherine Hepburn really wanted to move on to um, the film industry and there was one role that RKO Pictures pushed to giving Peg even before Peg got her her chance with RKO and they ultimately went with Katherine Hepburn so it's interesting if she had received that role mm-hmm. if she would have changed I think it was the Bill of Dis- Divorcement I looked it up and oh, okay. Billy Burke was the main character, Billy Burke, played the good witch of the... Yeah. Uh, in Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. And so it's like people were like, okay, well, Peg looks even more like Billy than Catherine Hepburn. Like, this is perfect. But I think it was George Cook or somebody. Mm-hmm. He just really went with Catherine Hepburn. So yeah. who would have known? I don't know. Um, and then finally, the song Lust for Life by Lana Del Rey has a reference to Entwistle. I immediately thought of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the song includes the lyrics as climbing up to the H of the Hollywood sign, and then the music video shows Lana Del Rey and The Weeknd dancing atop the H of the Hollywood sign. Which is actually a, a really nice song. It's, I mean, Lust for Life is, sadly, that's something that Peg did not have. But, At least towards um, the end there. Towards the end, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's nice to keep her in mind. I would like to see... If there's even like a clip of 13 women to to like even see her and like hear her voice and yeah that'd be, nice. be cool but that's the story of um early hollywood and um actress peg and twistle well that was very interesting and very sad, very sad. <laughs> Thank and you. also my story is going to mirror that as well but let us take a quick break let's take a breather yeah. for for sure okay so before I get into my story, I just need to do a little, we're going to call it a curious correction mm. from my last episode. I like that. So Drew asked me during my story if the Kickapoo tribe was a real tribe, and I said no. <laughs> and as soon as I said it, I thought to myself, this doesn't sound right. But I did not correct myself, and so I looked it up. The Kickapoo tribe is indeed a real tribe, and I am very sorry oh. for misleading anyone. Well, that was nice of you. But uh, I just misunderstood what I heard on the podcast that I listened to. <laughs> and then I thought about it some more, and I was like, no, you idiot. They're real. They're real. <laughs> They're like, not only are we real, 
but you are disgracing us. No, I'm just I kidding. Know. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. you didn't disgrace them. The people naming their fake medicine I after them. You were telling me I was a disgrace. <laughs> no, sorry. I was like, I know. I'm so uh, sorry. I was like, you are a disgrace. But I'm like, <laughs> but your face is actually the face of a medicine bottle from the 1800s. <laughs> oh no. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I will get into my topic now. Which is also about a tragic woman, although a more well-known woman, mm. and that is Marie Antoinette. Mm. Oh. And I just have to preface this by saying, I have been obsessed with Marie Antoinette since I was like seven years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I don't know how I like first learned about her, but I know when I was young, there was uh, this Royal Diaries series that uh, it was about different queens and princesses is that a book series it is i read that too uh yes they had one that had like cleopatra uh-huh. and yes and marie antoinette and cleopatra mm-hmm. were my favorite but i became obsessed with marie antoinette specifically and i would like play princesses with my friends but like marie antoinette <laughs> yeah. and i always wanted to be her I didn't know that she well, died. Well, you also were probably like, justice for Marie Antoinette? Yeah, I didn't know at first that she died. Mm. But then even when I found out, I was still like, hey, I, I know she didn't deserve it. No, she did not. And then when the Sofia Coppola movie came out, I very vividly remember the Vogue issue with Kirsten Dunst dressed up as Marie Antoinette. And it was life-changing. You're like, this is everything. I want this to be my aesthetic. Yeah, it is a good one, too. And I'm also currently wearing a yeah. Marie Antoinette shirt. Dear listener, if you could see Olivia's shirt, it is amazing. Describe and it's, it. it. It's it's like reminiscent of like like the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. But I was going to say Sex Pistols, but I was also going to say, um, oh my gosh, brain. What's it called? Like The Clash. The Clash, yeah. Um, So it's like vintage... 70s London, but it's her face and she's black and white, but then over her eyes is let them and over her mouth is cake, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. I think it's supposed to be like the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. But um, yes, I, so yeah, I found this shirt recently. Because and... literally God should have saved the queen. Yeah. Poor queen. But also uh, the peasants just shouldn't have. You know what? I'm not going to blame the peasants. I'm going to blame the revolutionaries. I think everyone needed to come um, to like a nice bonfire. Let's talk this out. Yeah. Everyone, you know, have a, you know, like a couple drinks. Just like, what are we, what's happening here? Yeah. Let's figure something out. They did not do that. They did not. (laughs) They stormed the Bastille and it was over. But before we get to that part, we have to talk about Marie's early life. Yeah. Okay. So let me, I'm totally distracting you. I'm sorry. That's okay. I mean, I feel like most people know the general parts of her story. So we're just going to fill in some gaps. Yeah, let's go. Let's go there. So Marie was the 11th daughter of Holy Roman Emperor Francis I and Maria Theresa. And she was born on the 2nd of November, 1755 in Vienna, Austria. And she was born as Maria Antonia. And as a child, she was an accomplished musician and sang during family gatherings And she was said to have a lovely singing voice. She excelled at dancing and had exquisite poise and loved dolls. Mm. She sounds like a lovely little girl. Yes. And and, uh, she had many siblings, but she was specifically close with her sister, Maria Carolina, who was three years older than her. And she had a lifelong close relationship. And she also had a 
loving but a somewhat difficult relationship with her mother and she referred to Marie as the little Madame Antoine, <laughs> which I think is kind of cute, but also kind of condescending at the same time. A little time. bit, yeah. And she was also uh, very <laughs> affected by the death of her older sister, Maria Josepha, who died from smallpox during the epidemic in October 1767. So she had some good times in her childhood but she also had some sadness and some deaths in the family but she overall had what seemed like a lovely childhood Mm -hmm. and then when she was set to marry uh louis the 16th before they would marry she uh his father sent matthew jacques de vermont to tutor her and he noted that her character and her heart were excellent but said that she was rather more intelligent than generally supposed because she is extremely frivolous, very lazy, and hard to teach. <laughs> she's <laughs> so, too smart for her own good. Like, she's very smart, but she's a little lazy and frivolous. I actually relate to that. I not know. that I'm saying that I was smart in school. I just meant that I did not try hard enough because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be here. I know. Not because I'm too smart, just because I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, like, I... I don't mind being a little frivolous. (laughs) And when she was 13 years old, she was married to Dauphin Louis, the grandson of Louis XV, on May 16, 1770. And the reaction to their marriage was mixed because there was already a stigma that came with being Austrian. Mm. Uh, The French people didn't think well of the Austrians, especially Vienna. Um, I think they're great. I think they're great, too. Um, have you heard of uh, Mozart? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, she uh, met Mozart when she was a child. Oh. Mm-hmm. So this is my uh, little sidebar for a moment. Okay. I just watched the 30 Rock episode where they <laughs> reference Mozart and Salieri. Uh-huh. And Frank um, and Tracy are talking, and um, Tracy's talking about his genius, and he's like... I'm Mozart, and you are the guy that was jealous of Mozart. And Frank says, Salieri. And Tracy (laughs) says, no, thank you, I just ate. (laughs) It's so silly. But I'm like, man, I love 30 Rock. I mean, that's a great comeback, honestly. (laughs) Um, Oh, no. Okay, so uh, even though there is Austrians are good. Austrians are good. Yeah. The French didn't think that. And even though there was a mixed reaction, uh, the Dauphin, being Marie Antoinette, uh, was very beautiful and very likable. Mm. So initially, people had a good response to her because she was just young and sweet and very lovely and seemed like she was a vivacious, friendly person. Uh, Although the queen spent heavily on fashion, luxuries, and gambling, and Rose... Because she could. She could. <laughs> yeah. Because she was frivolous. Yeah. <laughs> but she was also smart. Yeah. Uh, and Rose Bertin created dresses for her and hairstyles such as poofs, which is what she's famous for. And if you see any portrait of Marie Antoinette or any iteration of her, mm-hmm. that is the poof, what she has on her head. And they would be up to 90 centimeters high. <laughs> that is amazing. It, I know. I The fact that and they That's could, why their doorways were so... They're so tall, and the fact that they could walk gracefully with such a huge thing on their head. I Strong neck them. muscles. Yeah. Good mm-hmm. thing she was 
graceful. Yeah. <laughs> like, remember when I talked about um, tripping <laughs> while going up the stairs? I could not have a poof on my head. <laughs> Your hair would topple over. Yeah. Um, as a result, Marie had one of the most fashionable and important courts in history. I think a lot of people, when they think of Marie Antoinette, think of her fashion, Mm -hmm. partly because of the portraits of her, and I'm sure also partly because of Sofia Coppola's uh, iteration of Marie. Yes. Uh, She also had the misfortune of having a timid, inattentive, and slightly awkward husband. And Louis XVI's inability to consummate the marriage mm. made others... Who, I know. Sorry. Sorry, we gotta talk about it. <laughs> no, it's just funny. The sound I just made, I was like, <laughs> poor guy. He's like, hey, we all have trouble. I don't know what I'm talking about. I, it's, <laughs> I actually read something that said that... Um, <clears throat> he was shy? It, it was... He was not very motivated and she was uninterested (laughs) yeah so they probably were like what if we just played cards they're like look we got married when we were teenagers so and they were not married each other because they liked each other so much it was a political move right so those who might inherit the throne got greedy and they began to spread rumors of affairs including the affair of the diamond necklace, where Marie was wrongly accused of having an affair with a cardinal. And I will not get into this whole thing because it is a very long and intricate plot. But there is a great episode of Noble Blood where she goes into the whole plot of the diamond necklace and placing the blame on Marie mm-hmm. and trying to, uh, they're trying to get rich and also trying to. Uh, insinuate that there was an affair between this cardinal and Marie. I I I remember that episode, and it was good. It is very good. It's um, Dana Schwartz gives it in such a way that it's like you're on the edge of your seat. Uh huh. And it's it's one of the sillier episodes, mm. even though ultimately it is one of many things that went into people. Uh, destroying Marie's reputation. Yeah. Because even though the people who were involved with the plot were charged, there were still people who believed that she had an affair with the Cardinal and that she was trying to defraud this jewelry company. No. No. (laughs) So in 1778, Marie finally gave birth to a daughter, Marie-Therese Charlotte, followed by her firstborn son, Louis. And in 1782, after the governess... The governess. I want a, a little British. Oh, there. Yeah, like, my governess. The governess of the royal children. Uh, her name was Princess de Guémenet. I haven't spoke French in a long time, so I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, she went bankrupt and resigned, and then Marie appointed a favorite of hers, Duchess de Polignac, to the position. And this was another controversial move, even though it doesn't seem to us like it would be, because... People thought that the Duchess was from too humble of origins to be in the position. Mm. It's it's like this weird mixture of people being upset with Marie uh, because she spent so lavishly, but then also she was very kind to people of lower station, and she even would like help uh, children along the roadside if she saw. Uh, children who were begging she would uh, stop and help them and would offer to 
uh, pay their way in school. Oh. So it's... That's really sweet. Like, she couldn't win. No. <laughs> uh, and then Count Axel von Fernsen was accepted into the Queen's private society when he returned from America in 1783, and there were rumors of an affair between him and the Queen, but most of their correspondence has been lost or destroyed over time. And on the 27th of March, 1785, Marie gave birth to her second son, Louis Charles. And it's very confusing because she has two sons named Louis and her husband's name is Louis. So get used to that. So they were like, <laughs> so we're going to call him Charles. Yeah. I, <laughs> LC. I, do, I do wonder that if they went by middle names. Mm-hmm. It, oh, know. they were like, Louis, no, not you. No, you. Other Louis. That Louis. No, not your dad, <laughs> that one. <laughs> uh, and Louis was born nine months after Count Fernson's return. So it was speculated that mm. the child was his. Um, but a couple of her biographers, um, Antonia Fraser and Stefan Zwieg, believed that Louis, uh, her husband, was in fact the father. But they also believed that Antoinette and Frenson were involved in an affair, but that he was not Louis's father. Um, because there was, there was a conjugal interaction between Louis and Marie at the time, so it is perfectly reasonable mm. that he would have been the father. Right. But this didn't matter because Marie was already being libeled in court and was declining in popularity and public opinion. And around this time, uh, there were pamphlets that were put out that were farcical portraits of sexual deviancy of the royals, but especially the queen. No matter what it was about the royals, Marie was always the one that got the brunt of the libel. Mm. And... The Portefeuille d'un Talon Rouge was one of the first to put out political statements about immoral practices of the queen and those at court. She was also the perfect target because France still didn't think much of Austrians, and so her heritage was blamed for her alleged immoral behavior. So they're like, oh, it's just like an Austrian or a German thing. Mm. <laughs> Why did France think so much of themselves? I... I don't know that that's a whole that's I mean I mean we I mean that's a whole thing (laughs) it is a whole thing that was more of a like a what's it called geez I don't rhetorical rhetorical question yeah but that's always been the thing I mean like France is better today Mm -hmm. but historically France has always been like oh we're French the end that's it. Yeah. That's the funny thing about a lot of these political alliances between uh, different royal families is like they're doing it so they can unite their countries and create uh, alliances. The Justice but, League. No, <laughs> Justice League. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. But then uh, the people, like the common folk of the country have this... Uh, Bi- like, like a bias. A bias against mm-hmm. them. And so it never, it never goes as they think it's going to go. No. Um, and then finally, uh, Mar- that should be like the, um, the tagline for history. This never goes the way you think it will go. <laughs> no, no matter how many times you do it, <laughs> it doesn't go, it doesn't that, go way. that way. Um, finally, her last child, Marie-Sophie Helene Beatrix was born on 9th of July, 1786. And then... A few years after that, in May 1789, Marie was directly involved with the exile of Parliament and the Estate General 
which convened at Versailles. And she actually served on the king's council, and she was the first queen in 175 years to do so, the last one being Marie de Medici in 1614. Oh, I, I've heard that name. I know. I'm like, <laughs> Medici is a future episode. I'm like, Medici, am I right? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like, history nerds, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Holla. Uh, but Marie did little to intervene with politics at this time because her elder son, the first Louis, was ill and passed away in June from tuberculosis. Um, she was still blamed for a lot of the political moves going on at the time, but really she was just a concerned mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we're going to jump ahead a few years to when the revolution reaches a crescendo. Uh, there had been several plots to try and get the royal family to safety, but Louis' indecisiveness and Marie being unwilling to leave without her husband foiled the plans. It, it's so frustrating because they might have been safe if they got out in time. Who knows? They could have still been captured. Right. But Louis was just so indecisive about leaving, and Marie even like tried to convince him several times to leave. So finally, on the 21st of June, 1791, they began what would become known as Flight of Varenne to reach Montmédy, a safe harbor for royalists. The plan was for some members of the royal family to pose as servants for the imaginary Madame de Coff, a wealthy Russian baroness played by Elizabeth de Croix de Tourzel. <laughs> so I just like that they had this intricate plot where they were going to have people pretend to be like a Russian baroness and the servants from another country. <laughs> uh-huh. However, it didn't work. And the entire Because fam- they were like, Russia, that's <laughs> as bad as Austria. They're like, you're not fooling anyone. Yeah. Uh, the entire family was arrested less than 24 hours later at Varennes and taken back to Paris to be imprisoned. And now is when we get into some trigger warnings. So trigger warning for... Uh, death decapitation <laughs> decapitation and uh a, being accused of uh child abuse there's no evidence that it was real but just if you don't want any mention at all mm. but i'm not going to get really detailed yeah so in august 1792 marie's good friend princess de lambel was taken in for interrogation and asked to renounce the queen but she refused, refused to do so uh, because they were good friends and she didn't want to do that to her friend. But unfortunately, she was savagely killed. And then her head was paraded around on a pike near the temple prison where the queen was imprisoned in hopes that she would see the gruesome end of her dear friend. Mm. And they even wanted to get her close enough to get Marie to give her kiss on the cheek Uh, I can't even imagine like I remember the very first time I even read about this Mm -hmm. it's so upsetting it's like so it's essentially her best friend Mm -hmm. who did not betray her but they were like all right well I'm just gonna parade her decapitated head Mm -hmm. and then why don't you give her a kiss on the cheek I would be like no please fortunately Marie never saw that good uh but when she heard about it she still fainted because it's shocking it's shocking i mean that's that would be upsetting for literally anyone yeah and um like even regardless of your position in life you should not treat people like that no Mm -hmm. absolutely not and again we'll not get into detail but there is another great episode of noble blood that i will cite at the end that Mm -hmm. has 
not more detail about that, but about Marie's execution. Yes. And uh, on 20... Sorry, I was writing down the date in the French way. <laughs> on the 21st of January 1793, uh, Louis XVI was executed and leaving Maria widow. And I don't know if this was a familial name, but uh, their name was changed back to the common Capet. And so Marie was uh, henceforth known as the widow Capet. Mm-hmm. And soon after, Marie's children were taken from her and they were put in separate cells but she could still hear her children crying and hear them being interrogated by officials. And unfortunately, officials manipulated her youngest son into saying that she had molested him, which there's no evidence of this. I want to stress that there's no evidence. Yeah. The, the evidence is strongly pointing towards the fact that she was, in fact, a really good mother. Yeah, he was a little boy. Mm-hmm. He was away from either of his parents, had no people near him except for people that hated his parents yeah and was kept until they got the answer they wanted yes probably didn't even understand what they were saying to him yeah uh and of course when marie heard about this it broke her heart and enraged her at the same time and when she was put on trial she was quiet and solemn for most of it when they were bringing up accusations but when they brought up the accusation of her possibly molesting her son she was compelled to speak out and she entreated the mothers and the audience to listen to her when asked why she hadn't responded to the accusations she said if i have not replied it is because nature itself refuses to respond to such a charge laid against a mother which is so heartbreaking so heartbreaking (laughs) and i'm sure all of the mothers there probably related to her probably felt for her, but it didn't matter. They were going to sentence her no matter what. Well, and then if it's just women who are swayed, what they have no political exactly. pull at all. It's an all-male jury. Yes. That have already decided. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. So Marie was sentenced to death by guillotine, and uh, as Marie stepped onto the platform for execution, Uh, The last thing that happened was she accidentally stepped on the foot of the executioner and she uttered her last words. I'm sorry, sir. I did not do it on purpose, Mm -hmm. which I don't know. That just makes me so sad. It's so heartbreaking. I feel like it's so poignant because, I mean, she's just having this last meaningless interaction with this man. But really, she couldn't. She should have been like, I don't care. That's if she really was true yeah. to what they say. But she also, like, describes her whole reign and everything she did. Like, she may have done things that weren't great or just weren't very uh, sensitive to, uh, like, the peasants and the commoners. But I feel like, I'm sorry, sir, I did not do it on purpose. Yeah. Like, it sums it up perfectly. Very much so. And uh, one last bit about Marie. The phrase, let them eat cake, mm. has become synonymous with Marie Antoinette. Everyone has heard this phrase. Even if you don't know a lot about Marie Antoinette, you know the phrase, let them eat cake. Mm-hmm. There's, It's on cute little signs. It's on t-shirts. It's everywhere. It's said to be funny. <laughs> it's said to be funny. You know, I might say it if I want cake. I don't know. <laughs> we joked about why didn't we have cake with us we today. Did, yes. yes. But the problem is, she probably never said it. Mm-hmm. 
And it sounds a bit flip for someone talking about impoverished and starving peasants, you know, let them eat cake. Uh, although Kristen Dunst's delivery in the Sofia Coppola Marie Antoinette is a bit more sweet and coquettish. I imagine if Marie did say it, she would have said it in a very cute, like, I don't know, she just seemed like a sweet girl, like she was a young girl at the time. Mm-hmm. But if she had said it, it would have been qu'il mangeait de la brioche, which brioche was a, it's kind of like brioche bread that we have now, but it was a little more uh, enriched and sweeter. Mm. And so it is not even historically accurate to say let them which eat cake. I, would, I mean, like, I'll try it. Sounds good I to know, me. I, I would like brioche. Yes. And uh, the phrase or something like it actually appeared in a 16th century German story and was later translated into French in Rousseau's Confessions and was most likely meant as more of like a commentary on the upper class. Mm. But uh, when Rousseau wrote this story, Marie Antoinette would have been nine years old. But uh, the revolutionaries uh, took up Rousseau's writings as kind of one of their main uh, sources for the revolution. And so they might have even known that Marie didn't say it, but kind of attributed it to her class. And it's been debunked over time, but it's like no matter how many times it's debunked that she didn't say it, people continually associate it yeah. with Marie, which is so awful. It's awful. <laughs> and never mind the fact that she was a queen, which at the time was more of a figurehead or... I, I wouldn't even say an accessory, but she didn't really have any political power. Right. So she wouldn't have been able to do anything really to help the poor of France, except for the occasional works of charity that she did just on her own volition. Right. So that's my little rant about I, I like that. <laughs> um, but I also, much like you, I went into some areas of popular culture where Marie shows up, which... There are many. Yeah. Unlike mine, Marie Antoinette has been everywhere. Yes. She has been portrayed at least in 21 different movies. Of course, probably the most notable being Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. There is also uh, Marie Antoinette in 1938 starring Moira Shearer. Uh, she's often referenced in fashion, art, and music. Uh, some of my personal favorites, um, Marie has... Uh, said to have inspired Electra Heart by Marina and the Diamonds. Uh, one of my favorite fashion brands, Selkie, has had Marie Antoinette inspired launch parties. Mm. Uh, their fashion shows, like, they're kind of like modern day interpretations of like the color palette and the look of the so clothing. many beautiful pastels. And then they have the poofs. Like, yes. The poofs. I love that. And then my absolute favorite. Uh, Moschino did a Marie Antoinette and cake themed collection at Fashion Week 2020. Did you know that I, so this is sidebar, we have Pinterest boards for our friends and when we come across something that Uh we'll be like, I'm saving that to their board. I just saved a Moschino Marie Antoinette inspired dress to your Pinterest board (gasps) like just a few days ago. I love that. That's so funny. I will never get over Moschino's Marie Antoinette or their Barbie collection. Moschino is good always. Yeah. So that is Marie Antoinette. And I feel like I want to 
eat some cake, some macaron, and watch Sofia Coppola's yes, movie. Yes, I think we should. Mm-hmm. We should watch a scene of Peg and Twistle um, acting in 13 Women. I think there's one on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then we'll wrap it up with Marie Antoinette. Yes. What's so funny, though, is... Um, I was thinking about who could play Peg and Twistle in a movie, mm-hmm. and to me, she looks a lot like Kirsten Dunst. Oh, I could see that. And it's like, what a... I'm like, get Sophia on <laughs> Right? Like, Kirsten Dunst, she's in both of our stories. Also, I forgot to do my sources at the top, so I'm going to do that now. <laughs> Wait, no, did I? Um, I don't remember anymore. I don't. I don't know, because you did it... For earlier is to practice oh that's right i just did it for practice all right so let's do it for real now i'm like am i having a stroke you were doing a a speaking practice to not say the word um yes i like i do i'm not sure how i did but you did great thank you yeah very well done so there was a britannica.com article on marie antoinette and of course the wikipedia page for marie antoinette and cultural depictions of marie antoinette and Noble Blood has three episodes uh, involving Marie Antoinette. There is Historical Myth-Busting Spectacular, where she goes into uh, five of history's most persisting myths, and the first one she does is Let Them Eat Cake. Mm -hmm. The Neck and the Necklace, about the necklace affair. And the second death of Marie Antoinette, which is... So sad. So sad. I remember listening to that on a long drive by myself, and it literally made me cry. It it's was upsetting. So good. And just in general, listen to Noble Blood. Dana Schwartz is the voice of an angel. The voice of an angel. The best storyteller. You just need to listen to that podcast. Yeah. But yeah, I listened to that again for research for this, and it made me cry. Yeah, <laughs> you're like right in the heart. Yeah. And if anyone is listening and they're really upset about the French Revolution, which why are you not? Watch A Scarlet Pimpernel (gasps) with Anthony Andrews and Jane Seymour. Mm -hmm. Because The Scarlet Pimpernel is a fictional character, but if he was real, he would have made everything better. And if you want to be a little bit of a revolutionary sympathizer, watch Les Mis. Les Mis, just in general. <laughs> yeah. Because you're like, you know what? These people have had a hard life. They are they are miserable. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, look, I am glad I didn't live around that time because I would feel bad for Marie Antoinette and I would feel bad for the revolutionaries. But I'd be like, hey, let's not kill anyone. How let's about that? Let's not kill anyone. And probably considering my ancestry, I would have been a peasant. Oh, I definitely would have been a peasant yeah. if I hadn't already died. <laughs> my my teeth gone. Yeah, I my cake not being eaten. Going <laughs> going back to Little Women, I definitely would be Beth and have just died. Yeah, got the personality of Amy, the constitution of Beth. <laughs> I think we talked about this one time, and um, I was like, well. I have the personality of Joe, but I probably was Lori's grandpa. <laughs> I remember you said that. You're like, it's the Colonel Mustard effect. <laughs> I know. I have the Colonel Mustard effect. Is there a grumpy old man with a mustache? And I'm not even like a grumpy old man at heart because we were talking about this earlier. Um, I was with a different friend who was the grandpa friend. Like there's, uh-huh. you have your mom friend, you have your, I guess, a dad friend. Uh-huh. I'm not even the grandpa friend, but I'm the Colonel Mustard friend. 
<laughs> I I don't think I'm structured enough to be the mom friend. You're one the of, wine aunt friend. <laughs> that's what one of our other friends said. He's like, you're the aunt. Yeah. You're the fun aunt. I'm like, I'll do that. Yes. I'll be the aunt that has cats and drinks old fashions and can oh, return the kids at the end of the that day. That sounds great. Yeah. I'll be the, I'll be one of those aunts too. You can be aunt slash grandpa. I'm going to be the Colonel Mustard aunt. <laughs> oh my gosh i love it so much anyway that well that is a very heavy episode i think because this one was so intense my next story will be much lighter that'll be my promise to you all maybe i'll try and find a kooky story to do let's kooky it up okay yeah and have cookies okay Or we could also have um, macarons like we could have had today. We're having them in spirit Mm -hmm. for Marie today. But we could have them for real next time. If I hadn't had to do other errands, I would have gotten macarons. I know. I feel bad you could have told me. I didn't even. It's okay. Out of sight, out of mind. (laughs) I know. Even though I'm always thinking about macarons. Oh, right. Me too. And, And that is not the macaron. It's not the macaroons. Yeah, it's it's not Emmanuel oh, Macron. Oh, it's not the president of France. And it's also not macaroons. It's not macaroons. It's not the president of France. No, these are macarons. <laughs> these are beautiful cookies. Yep. Made out of um, almond flour and, and dreams. I was like, and happiness. And happiness. Yeah. And um, anything to add before we wrap her up? I don't know. Did we have any... Any things about the pod? Oh, um, we're working on our designs for merch. I'm really excited because the merch that we have going, I'm just wanting to buy for myself. Yeah. I actually, there's one sticker that we created that would look good on our um, any kind of mm-hmm. drinking utensil that we have. Yeah. I, I am not good at coming up with designs like drew so i've been creating a but you're really board. good at coming up with ideas because sometimes i will just kind of like see something and go off of that but i'm like i would like to create something that's pretty like unique that's not just influenced by something else but i also like the influence by something else like, people have good ideas and i'm jumping off of their little picture off of. 70s Horror movies, movie posters, not oh. the horror movies, but the posters. Yes, and the book covers. And the book covers. We gotta figure that. Yes. That's our aesthetic. Yes. Someday you'll see. You'll see and you'll know. <laughs> you'll see. <laughs> you'll see. I don't know why I got so aggressive. <laughs> well, I also have to drive home, so yeah, we I'm should gonna, wrap this up. I'm going to say good night and good luck. <laughs> and be odd. And be curious. And always be closing. I'm never, I don't know where that came from. Is that a saying? I just, isn't that from, um, oh no, that movie is Alec Baldwin. Hunt for the Red October? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's Sean Connery. (laughs) Always be checking those, um, submarine hatches. They get a little crazy. Might get some water. <laughs> it's gonna bug me what that movie was, but it's like coffees for closers. Oh yeah, I don't know. Well, and always be knowing your movie references, and always not me. Uh, 
Just try not to jump off Hollywood signs. Yeah, don't do that. And and always be charitable despite people around you being and, terrible. And don't be so hasty to guillotine people. And always, <laughs> always be working and taking care of your mental health. It's the most important part of your body. Yes, I think that is probably the most productive advice that we have. Yeah. <laughs> your brain. Your brain loves you and wants you to take care of it, even though it lies to you. Yeah. So take care of it for take yourself it. and for us. And on that note, goodbye. We goodbye. Love you. <laughs> love you. Goodbye. <laughs>